time for all your Chicago hot button sports topics. What time is it? With yours truly, Charles Prodigy Ritchie, here on the Crunch Time Podcast. Are you ready? Let's get it all! Welcome to this edition here of Crunch Time, covering the Last Dance episodes five and six right now. With yours truly, host of On Deck on ChicagoLandSportsRadio.com. Charles, with me myself, Charles Project Richie, and of course my right hand man on that show, Donald DJ Coleman, aka Rulers. We call him on our show. He is joining us live this afternoon. How's it going, Reese? Not bad. I really uh, got a chance to liking the recent episodes of five and six. There was uh, some good stuff, good content this time. It stood out. Still seeing some lingering stuff, especially from Isaiah Thomas. Still with the Dream Team. Still kind of had a recap in there. Some of what happened. I mean, you saw stuff in here, like uh, key names we're gonna be uh, talking to here in just a second. We're gonna be bringing up throughout the coverage of this show, which I think were very influential. And one of the names uh, definitely you have to start with when you're uh, talking about this last dance documentary, you have to talk about right now one of Jordan's agents, David Falk, right there, with whom he met after he finished his career with North Carolina Tar Heels. And that took his mind a little bit surprising, uh, really surprising to see right here. When he first came to the NBA, they had Converse on at the time right there. In the 80s, you had the big uh, sharks in the tank, like uh, where it was like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Bernard King. I'm not sure about Dr. J. I'm not sure if he was part of the Converse uh, shoe lineup, but they were real skeptical about slotting Jordan ahead of those names when he was coming out. So David Falk, who actually had a firm called ProServe, which his company was primarily on tennis players. Little that we know, he's still pouring. And uh, some of those names that he supported when it came to the game of tennis, we were talking about Pete Sampras, who's an American uh, tennis player. <laughs> he also had a former number one all-world tennis player, he's a Swedish person, and Stefan Edberg. And then last but not least, he also had Gabriella Sabatini. You also had a uh, figure skater too, Nick Carter, who's also four centuries ago part of the famous scandal. Her and uh, Tanya Harden right there in the '94 Winter Olympics, which a lot of people always uh, remember. They'll stand out a lot more. But then, like some of the other athletes, he helped over time too. Aside from Michael Jordan, he also helped big games. James Worthy, Patrick Ewing, Cleveland Cavaliers, Danny Ferry. And then around 1996, he also helped uh, accommodate some big mega deals in the NBA at the time. $100 million contracts at that time. Really, you know, he started contract starting right. He helped out guys like Juwan Howard of the Washington Bullets, allowed to more in the Miami Heat. And Michael Jordan had his highest uh, pay raise at that time, $30 million, which lasts for a record. 16 years about that time 
So FTC is one of the very first important names I want to get into real quick here. Uh, what was your thoughts about five and six? What stood out? And what did you think of David Blockout comedy? Because there's hopefully some other one other name that we did not hear in this series that initially introduced Michael Jordan to the shoe deal, especially with Nike. And when you think about a guy like Jordan, I would have never thought that that Nike won the best first choice. He wanted to be an Adidas guy. Yeah, I just I just found it kind of interesting right there. I mean, it w I mean, obviously he got turned out by Kyvers, but I would just never have thought like Adidas would have been him because when you look at how much like uh, him and Nike, with David Falk being a huge uh, guy that helped pair like uh, start up the Air Jordan brand, and also too we also learned of another uh, guy in this uh, in this uh, guy whose name was Howard White. He was also one of the men who worked alongside David and and the Jordan brand right there. Uh, right now, he's currently vice president of sports marketing for the Jordan brand. So he was also an art key figure who stood with him on his side. And, I mean, up until, like, his first uh, retirement, I mean, they made a lot of good things together. And one of the biggest things, too, I mean, you saw, like, one of the phenomenals right there. Nike was saying, we're hoping we could at least... You know, by this time, at the end of uh, year one, if uh, we could get, like, around, like, uh, $3 million in shoe sales, they crushed it. About, like, $125, $126 million in Jordans being sold within one year. And I bet you everybody was, I bet you Adidas, Converse, you name it, whoever said no. But today was over there eating crow, crying. Yep. Saying why we didn't do it, you know, and everything. But uh, I feel like it worked out, and he, even to this day, it's you know he's still relevant. We, uh, we talking about a deal that was made, I think that said 1986. Right. Correct. Yeah. About a deal that was made in 86. Well, 84 actually, as a matter of fact, when he came into it, so uh, around the first his first year, basically. Yeah, first year. So just imagine. 86 and it still is relevant in 2020. 2020, you can still see people standing outside for Jordans and he hasn't played the game in over 20 years, I think. So it's, it's just crazy that the impact, and that's the kind of lasting impact that you would want from an individual that even after he's done playing the game, his impact still, if he still makes a shoe and he's not even playing the game, like Jordan's that impact. When he makes a mic, he must buy. But at the same, at the same time too, I'm also wondering too, like with him continuous on, I mean, when he came into the league, I don't really feel like Jordan got the sense like he really got much guidance like coming in, except just playing the game. 
Remember, a guy like Jordan, when you look at any African-American, I mean, particularly at that time, or any minority, I mean, who's uh, going for some struggles and trying to make it big. I mean, what's one of the biggest things you're, that's on your checklist right there is your finances. You want to get squared away. You want to make sure you're in a good place being well taken care of. And I think over the years, as you could see, he wanted to take care of players for future generations with building up their own brand or just looking at it from a business standpoint. I mean, it's like, listen, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's one thing to be playing this game and realize there's life beyond it after we're hang up the cleats. But at the same time, too, you also got to realize it's also about making the best opportunities you could get right now at this moment. And I, I really believe Jordan, I mean, in, this, in his way, that's his way of giving back to a lot of people who've uh, actually put in their time and just want to just like uh, feel all the benefits of what it is. Not just being a great athlete, but also being well-branded. I mean, if it's one thing that you could darn better believe right now about Jordan, he always wanted to make sure he was protected and in a good financial situation. I mean, for not only him, but his family... He always wanted to make sure everyone was uh, taken care of, and they, they shared a lot of stuff together. I mean, and that, that's what, one of the things about Jordan right now. Even long before, like, after he was done and just became, like, an executive finally, he, he his best interest, I, I'm, I'm just not so sure if he should continue being an executive anymore in the game of basketball. I mean, I'd probably just stick more of this right now. This is more of his bigger success, being like a... A big like a uh, person people could talk to as far as like getting themselves on the right path and the marketing special, and that, that that's where I'm looking at from his mindset, trying to get inside his head on this. But I mean, those are the things right there, and uh, as we uh, continue on right there, I mean. Yeah, I, I thought that was just where the, definitely one of the very first headlines that caught my eye. Just seeing like the start of the shoe 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 deal business, and just uh, see him uh, negotiate his way in there and, and try to overcome like earlier on in his career. I mean, he was already felt like he was in the shadow of guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. I mean, Larry Bird, who was actually by that time he was about the reigning MVP at that time. So, I mean, he already knew he has work cut out for us trying to be on their level. But at some point, he did know that if he's going to really uh, take it to the next level and really get the recognition, he really had to concentrate on acquiring a lot of those championships right there in his career. And that's, that's what happened. I mean, obviously, he overcame a lot of controversies. I mean... Even like in this first year, what's one of the first things we see was that with Jordan, he made it to his very first All-Star game. But there was also a concern by guys like Isaiah Thomas and some other people in the All-Star game that that was starting to spread. They decided to freeze him in the All-Star game because of all the attention he was getting. And you almost kind of start to wonder right there, aside from his time with the Bad Boy Pistons, for it layer came up. I mean, and then you saw like the struggles he had in those playoff games. I mean, how much that really led to a lot of their 
competitive, like, uh, I mean, the uh, uncomfortableness on the court, on and off. Because I still wonder to this day, as far as right now, what would happen if Isaiah Thomas would have been on that dream team. I mean, don't forget, I mean, if we go back in time, we, we dissect the scene. You saw right there, basically, the formation of the All-Star, I mean, of the Dream Team, basically around going into the summer of 91, so late spring, so around late May, heading into June, they make it right there. And one of the people that Jordan is very skeptical about is make sure that he's not going to be a part of this team. And what I find interesting on here, Reese, oh, there we go. Uh, we just had a little, a few connection issues with my uh, partner here, so he's back on right now. But uh, as I was just saying right there, I was talking about Jordan's earlier time, like trying to compete up against guys like Magic and Larry. Aside from just trying to keep up in a good financial situation and just real, looking at it as a, as a business and how to brand yourself. But I was also talking about just briefly too, even like in his rookie year at the All-Star game, his very first All-Star game he got voted into. There was concerns from guys like Isaiah Thomas, star players, that Jordan was attracting a lot of attention. They decided to kind of like limit Jordan's abilities in that All-Star game. And then you look at later on to him and his comp competition with the Bad Boy Pistons. I mean, once his teams really started getting good, and they could not figure him out. And so we saw, again, Marv Elwood was interviewing Jordan, basically, just to make sure, like, uh, what was the exact reason... That was going on with him, Isaiah Thomas, and he just wanted to set the record straight and make sure it was no personal beef. He said it was no personal beef, other than he thought that he just plain simply saw Magic Johnson's best player at his position, and then Isaiah Thomas number two as far as like the forward positions go, or the point guard, I should say. Excuse me. So, and the the, the strange thing about that, and I, I look at. Their rocky relationship. I mean, you can always say it's like no personal hard feelings anymore. They respect each other. But what I find very highly suspicious of Jordan is on this. He says that people were trying to insinuate when he was asking like, you know, like, uh, I just want to be clear. Is this person not going to be on his team? And then like the guy who's asking him, which was Robert Thorne, who was actually a former executive of the Bulls in Jordan's first year. Well, he said, well, I just want to let you know, the guy who you're thinking of is not going to be on that team. Jordan claims that he did not bring up Isaiah Thomas's name, even though people were kind of reading between the lines that he was refer referring to Isaiah. I felt that was a little bit of an uncomfortable situation right there. Obviously, he did not want to think about him during that time on the Dream Team, just wanted to move on, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That's an awkward situation right there. I just think the tension between them, and I said it's crazy that the tension between them are is still here today. Um, so you can tell that that Pistons Chicago battle was really, really, really intense, and everything. Uh, I don't think it's Jordan, but Isaiah rubbed a lot of people wrong. If you really look at that, um, he rubbed. Matthew Johnson was on the team wrong. He just had, he pushed Scotty, you know, Michael Jordan. 
it was so Larry Bird. It was so many people, you know, that he had rubbed the wrong way. That it's like one guy rubbed five people wrong. So do we bring this one guy in that rubs five people wrong? That's like forty percent of our, you know, like team, you know, of our stars: Bird, Pippen, Magic, Bird. And I mean, you know, Bird, you know, Mike. Do we bring this guy in that that's, that's that have rubbed the top five players in the NBA the wrong way into this league? So, you know, maybe it did play a part in that because you know, skill wise, as you look at it, he qualified to be in there. But I don't say it's on Michael. I really just think that Isaiah needs to understand that the things that he needed to do won him championships, but it avoided him from winning a gold medal. But at the same time, too, like I said, I still believe at some point you make your own bed as far as, like, the image that you're going to portray yourself, whether you like it or not, even though that's not what you're trying to get across. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a decent guy. I mean, he was one of Chicago's very own. I mean, and uh, gave a lot to this game. He played through a lot of pain. But at the same time, too, like I said, anytime you portray yourself, in a controversial fashion, or where you think it's not controversial, and people may call you on it, that's the bottom line. Perception is reality in certain points at that point in time. I mean, the, the thing is, too, even a lot of it, too, I mean, I really start, I kind of really believe some of the players, too, were all kind of like in on it, that whole roster. I mean, it's like they didn't really get, they, they weren't really losing sleep over the fact that Isaiah Thomas was on the team. And I'll give you another reason why I illustrate that. Because you also saying in here, Tony Kukots, which we know him as Tony Kukots, uh, when he later became a bull, who actually got drafted in 1990, which rubbed off Jordan, I mean, Sky Pippen more so than anybody else. And so much Jordan, since that was his right-hand man on that Bulls team. Once they finally started winning together, I mean, after all the struggles, then they get to the championship stage. Everyone ran around there to like really send the message to him. It's like, it's like, listen, it's like, you're not going to come in here into this league thinking that because you're one of Jerry's boys right here that's being selected on this team, you're not going to be taking my spot. It's like, you're going to have to take it from me. Everybody play the vengeance. And I, I really, if they're, they're rallying around that with Tony Kukoc. I, I really start to wonder how much is that so much with Isaiah Thomas. It's like they didn't really give a damn at all if he was on there or not. It's like not my problem if you didn't make it. Um, I believe that, that they believe that, that they had some of the best talents on there and a good vibe. And, they, and that's what they emphasized with just the energy. And they wanted to stick with, with that energy. And like I said, Isaiah, you, you want two rings being you. It did prevent you from being an Olympic gold medalist, but you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, no no doubt about it. I mean, he he gave everything he had. But, I mean, aside from that, I mean, that, that dream team who actually went undefeated that summer right there, and we saw also, too, like, more of the stories in there, too. I mean, what's pretty much, I mean, it was clearly obvious that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird they had nothing more to give other than that last run right there. Larry Bird had to be talked into coming into that dream team after battling about about seven years with bad back injuries right there, playing lots of play, especially 
the last two, three years in the playoffs, he was really, like, literally on his knees and on the floor at times where it's like, it was just, it was really starting to become obviously too much. And then Matt Johnson also just came off the reels too of retiring from the HIV virus that started off. That was real scary. A lot of people were like uh, nervous he was, he was going to like die or not. What I find surprising is this with Matt Johnson. I love me some Matt Johnson, one of my favorite all time NBA players. But he's okay to play in an all star game. But you mean to tell me you're willing to let him play an international tour on some team, a guy who came off a deadly virus right here, and at the same time kind of slight Isaiah Thomas in a way. It's like, you mean to tell me you're going to have that guy come on there, not saying he didn't deserve it, but that's controversial in itself right there. That's a little messed up in my opinion. We got to remember Magic Johnson was a, he was a sports figure. He's an image. He had a bigger image than Isaiah Thomas. So even though that came out, his image actually didn't really get too tight and came back in the NBA. He still holds a great image. So image really played a perception. He was getting beat a lot. So like I said, I really think they selected the best players. And Isaiah Thomas was just left off because of the bad boys. And and, and we can all be honest and say it. And when, when you watch the, the documentary, you can see multiple people pointing fingers and saying who did it. So that should I'll let you know that players was not, there's multiple players that was not feeling that they wanted to have Isaiah Thomas on the team. And, you know, um, I think years later now, it's really still lingering, and which I think it shouldn't. It was back then, things happened, and I believe that they should move on. And um, even though Isaiah Thomas did not, win a Olympic gold medal, he's a Hall of Famer. He so had a great career. I just feel like the thing is where it just really pains him the most because remember, a decade earlier, he was supposed to be on there, but when you had the 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 unsafe, controversial issue going on with U.S. and the Soviet Union getting ready to duke it out, and, I mean, there were some signs of early terrorism, too, in the early 80s that was happening where it wasn't a safe environment. So I think that's a lot of it where he felt hurt. It's like he waited all this time. He paid his dues in between that time since he could not be on winning your two championships. And and, that, and just because mainly because of the way your image was and your association was with that Pistons team that he felt like he got screwed out of it. I think that's where he felt like he hurt. It's just, it's just, it's kind of like waiting like something you you put your time into, but you know what? It's not going to happen. It wasn't meant to be type of situation. But in his mind, it, it, it was it, it, it was forced to not meant to be. In his mind, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be. And I believe that it was either a, a Olympic gold medalist or two championships. So I believe that he, he you know, that his career selected a better one. Yes, it was controversial, but. Um, it's like you know, image. We see players now, and uh, and that's can look look uh, back then and look now. We see players now that are great talents. We watch players like Ojo Cinco from the NBA, right? From the NFL, and and, and To still great when I was playing, but image changed them to you know, you know, leave the NFL early. So we have seen throughout the years how. Uh, 
your image can, you know, prevent you from getting a professional job or, you know, being in the Olympics. And that's what he did. I don't think that he should have any regrets. They did what they did for their goal, which was the NBA championship. They won two of them back to back, which was only unheard of by two teams back then, which was the Celtics and the Lakers. They were the third team to go back to back. So with that being said, I believe that he accomplished his goal and that he has to accept that what he did, it, it did cost him an Olympic run, but he did get two championships. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing is, too, I'll, I'll always maintain this. He didn't do much different from what the Lakers and Celtics did. I mean, he just him and his team just replicated their runs of being the only teams winning back-to-back. I mean, no offense. I always look at championships. If you're looking at, like, a true dynasty, my minimum requirement as a fan, from what I learned, you want to at least have three. I mean, arguably, they could have won three in a row. They could have probably four-peated, I mean, in his mind. But you, you wind up... Losing to the Lakers your first time, and just selling for back to back, beating them in the rematch, and the Trailblazers, by the way, the exact same opponents that the Bulls beat for their first two titles in that order, the Lakers and the Blazers, before they met the Suns. Also, too, it was also revealed too. You always heard like where we watch any like Bulls or Michael Jordan documentaries. I mean, like one of his unstable relationships as we swing things over. By the way, you're, uh, for those of you tuning in here on our Facebook page or Instagram, we're streaming live right now on On Deck on our Facebook page and at On Deck CSR right now on Instagram. I'm Paraji Richie, and that's uh, Reese Rule right here. You're listening to On, I mean, uh, Crunch Time right now. And we always heard a lot of times like how Jordan, where he said that his Hall of Fame speech or in Sports Century, where it got brought up that Jordan took a had issue with the fact that Jerry Krause was claiming that organizations, you know, like are are more significant the way he was perceiving it as winning championships. We actually find out at the time when it actually gets revealed, and I played it in the intro. I'll play it again for every everyone right now joining in. This is right in the post game interview after celebrating the nineteen ninety two NBA championship. Here's Jerry Krause right now, once again, for those of you who missed it. And if I had to pinpoint, Reese, after we just heard that uh, clip right there, I think that's right around the same time, too, once things really started to deteriorate. You still had a guy like Sky Pippen, as we recapped in the last two weeks of the first four episodes about how Pippen was underpaid all this time before they started butting heads again right around Jordan's first return after coming out of his first retirement. And then this. I mean, you hear it clearly. I mean, Jerry Krause, I mean, I'm sure that wasn't his intention, but it was also like the loyalty that Jerry Reinsdorf had to Jerry Krause. He felt like he was a huge part of it. Jerry Krause was just never accepted as one of the boys. And I just feel like he did just as much as hard work, even though he's not competing. It's like, I structured this thing. 
Yeah, um, I just believe that, Jerry. As I look more and more into it, um, at first I look and then I see Jerry Crown just a businessman. He came in there with a business mentality. He understood that this was a business. And um, fortunately, he the greatest team to ever be assembled in basketball twice. Um, when you assemble that team to win three, uh, your best player leave, and then you come back and you'll reassemble that team again. Um, I just believe that he thought that he could do it again. Yeah, and not only that too. It just, I like I said, Jerry Krause, great GM. I mean, obviously he had his ugly years after they tore it all down, but he just had poor people skills. The way I looked at it, I mean, he he knew what he was doing. He knew how to construct a team. He knew how to scout for talent. It just. It's one thing to put the guy yourself in. It's another thing to try and find a way to get along with those same group of characters and those players. And that's what he, he failed at, as we all see over the years when we look at And you, you wonder why a lot more people are putting Jerry on the carpet, like why this team got broken up. Plain and simple, he just had bad people skills. It comes both ways. And he, he just simply just got rubbed the wrong way. I really do believe that. I mean, there was a lot of insults, I mean, and shots being traded towards Kraus. And I think Kraus did, to his credit, he had to stomach a lot of that for a lot of years. I mean, is it, is it fair? No. But uh, while we're waiting on uh, Reese to come back in here and rejoin real quick, I'll just pay a few shouts and thank yous real quick uh, to the people who are joining in. See, we got Pook Jones right now. Pook, how you doing? Thank you for, so much for joining us. I also got DRX Quinn X joined. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, welcome very much uh, to the Crunch Time Podcast. You guys got any uh, current thoughts right now on episodes five and six? What stood out to you a lot more? Uh, what, what what did you really enjoy in the series that was being documented? The shoe the shoe deals, Jordan's gambling, uh, reports they're really starting to service. Or did you also like the men's dream team? Because that's another thing we discussed in the last yeah. couple of shows. Yeah, I'm seeing. So I'm I'm having technical difficulties. So I'm gonna go ahead and just state my part before they kick me off again right now. Okay. But um, throughout the show, throughout the show, like um, I'm I'm a hint on it. Only dream team is the dream team. It's the, it's the best team ever assembled. Yes, it was out without Isaiah Thomas, and I do agree that it was because of the bad boys. I mean, we can all say it. It was the image and, and, and everything. You brought five of the top stars in the team the wrong way. So it was either five star. It was either Michael. It was either Michael, Magic, Bird, Pippen, or it was Isaiah Thomas. And I think they just took that and said, "Okay, we'll take Isaiah Thomas." Um, with uh, Jordan, um, I don't see anything wrong with his gambling. Um, you know, he just liked to, to, to play golf. Gamble is his money. He, he never missed the game. Like it didn't really affect him as a player. Like it wasn't a Pete Rose, so, you know, type of thing. You can tell that his competitive spirit. He would never uh, throw a game. I could never see Michael Jordan throwing a game. Like it just wasn't, in you know, in his nature. And whatnot, and with the Tony Kukoc thing, um, I think that was the good. I think them going out there showing Tony Kukoc how it is, and then him joining 
the team was like, okay, now I see how I got to come in. Now I see how, how these guys work. And then we end up winning three more with him as well. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that that's true. I just feel like the thing is, I mean, Jordan, I mean, the thing is, when you look at a guy like him and how successful he was and the way he always addressed people, I think people were just getting concerned with an image standpoint. I mean, truly what they were stifling at him on. It's just, it's like, it's what just like the lesson of life. No matter what you're good at and what you're involved with, you always want to be concerned about how you're going to be looked at in the public eye when you're at a high profile and just people just didn't want to see him possibly going down like a dark path or see a dark side of him because they really portrayed him as a likable guy. And I guess they're more fearful that he had a lot riding on the line that he was going to have to lose because even when Mara Rashad even kind of like criticized him a, a few times and said, well, even like when he was wearing sunglasses too that they remi- he pointed out too, where like when he was talking to people, that didn't look right. Skip well, Bailey. You know, that was the him with this shoe deal saying that Republican wears shoes too and everything. Because we look at black individuals, look at most black people as Democrats and everything. He's trying to say that he's a man of the people. You know, whether he votes, you know, Democrats or Republican, we're all individuals. You know, we have our own choices. But when you look at the black community, it look like, oh, just because you're black. I mean, at that time, I guess 86, I think it was, you know, maybe you should endorse him and whatnot because of what was going on and the ideas that the other guy was running against was definitely segregation ideas. But Michael just wants to play basketball. Or you got somebody that just want to just play basketball and they put you in a position to ask you about politics. You're like, hey, man, I, you know, everybody wants basketball. Democrats and Republicans, they wear shoes too. So, I, you know, I, it was more of him saying, I can't. Pick a side. Everybody wears shoes, so you know everybody. Not just the blacks, but the Republicans. That them rich white people. You think they also about my mics too? So you know I'm not choosing a side. You know because you know I don't want to be said that oh you know Michael is a Democrat, Michael is a Republican, Michael Jordan is an NBA basketball player, and that's all that he wanted. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's true. I mean, I mean a lot of it. I mean he was right in that regard because. At the same time, it's just like all the people that were concerned about him, I'm sure the same people who eventually bought a lot of his merchandise, shoes, or whatever that was associated with him. I, I just feel where it, it just gets a little scary, like I said. He was the face of the NBA. Howard Stern, I mean, uh, David Stern, excuse me. Did, 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 yeah, exactly. Uh, he didn't really take take it really seriously. But at the same time, too, that was his golden goose right there when guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, stepped away. I think he just he just dummied up and just said, you know what, it's like, you know, like, despite it being wrong, and you had a guy like Pete Rose, like I said, I still maintain, who four years earlier got the ultimate punishment any athlete could face in a sport, a lifetime ban, which is still stands today. I think David Stern was also looking out for his image too, to like uh, punish him and keep him away from the game because a lot of stuff all came back at him. But even still, even like two years after that, a lot of people were asking David Stern, it's like, did Michael Jordan step away because you encouraged him to take a break? Max Johnson was even on there saying too, he told the media, it's like, the more you guys keep coming at this guy right here about these gambling stuff, even when they're playing the Knicks... 
And when he went out to Atlantic City to do some gambling, and he was questioned by David Stern, he even said to me, he said, listen, it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Going to a casino is legal. I mean, of course, I mean, he had all the stuff later on, too, with, like, how he lost, like, about $57,000 in gambling bet, gambling debt, but then he also had one of the offers of the book claims that he won about millions of dollars off Jordan. I mean, I mean, he was just saying, it's how it is. After a loss, of course, you to the casino. People believe that you should be, you know, worried about that loss, not gambling. Like, are you really worried about the playoffs? You just lost in the casino. Are you focused? And that right there, what one thing you don't want to do is question Jordan and is he focused? And he came back. And that was the fire that he needed lit and, and everything. Like I said, of course, Jordan had his ways. Jordan had his gambling. He said, he said it was a hobby, you know, and as we can see now, he still loves to gamble now, and he's not in a financial, you know, place or anything like a whole. It's just like you said, it's just a hobby. But when, you, when you're on a, such a high pedestal, people will use anything to knock you off. And he understood that. And then he was used to being that good image. And once he saw that, that good image reached a place where now your image is so good, we have to find something to tame it. We have to bring you, because now you're in God's status, so now we have to bring you back to ordinary status. And, you know, and I think that that's what, you know, those things, services, you know, beat the Knicks. The Knicks were like the newer bad boy at, at the time, physical, you know, see Jordan wear out. But I think you dropped 40 that, that series and everything. Um, so I don't think that Jordan had a gambling problem. Like I said, it was, it was a hobby. Yeah, it was a hobby. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, at the end of the day, they still accomplished their, their goal through hell or high water, three-peating, that guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and, of course, the elephant in the room, Isaiah Thomas, did not do. They, they, they finished it. But my biggest question to you, if you look back at that moment in time, you piece everything together, what do you feel like was the real reason that Michael Jordan felt burnt out and stepped into retirement. What do you think ultimately tipped it? Other than the obvious. His first one, his father. His father? Michael Jordan always said that baseball, ironically, was his first love. And it was one of his father's first love. And um, I think when he when he retired for the first time, his father had just passed. Um, I think he wanted some, something different. You know what I'm saying? He, his father, remember he said when he lost against the Knicks, his father was the one that said, let's go and relax and everything. I think not having his, a father there for all the pressure that he wanted to not be NBA player Michael Jordan for a minute. So that, that's why I think that he, he wanted to go back to his first love and just try baseball. I do believe that. I mean, I do believe that was the ultimate thing that triggered it. But I will add to that. It was also, too, he was just, he was totally overwhelmed and engulfed by the media. Just being in his face for those last two years. Because people even called him out, like, why he wasn't at the first white trip to the White House with his teammates. I mean, I think some people kind of figured out he was already kind of, like, doing his own thing, gambling. I mean, hey, it's like, I put in my time. Why do I have to be here if I don't have to? It's not mandatory for the whole team. And then you, you look at the stuff that came out, but 
I mean, you also got a question too, like with his father being murdered, was it anything due to the gambling debt? Do you think that had anything to do with it right there? When you saw the young teenagers that followed him, the car they bought him, do you think it had anything to do with the gambling people he dealt with? I didn't heard of gambling. I didn't heard of uh, Illuminati. Anything is is to be only uh, to me is only so you know I can't speculate it never happened you know because I've been like like you said it's been gambling that I heard Michael Jackson Illuminati. So which one is it? You know I can't tell, but always heard it. Just take So, Illuminati Warriors. Yes. Well, you better darn sure believe the next uh, documentary series of the Last Dance has got to be briefly mentioned on uh, Jordan's uh, baseball career. I got to imagine. I'm sure that's going to be brought briefly. You have to imagine Bulls going on life without him. That, of course, is comeback right now. Because right around that time, the comeback. I remember, like I said a few moments ago, Sky Pippen was already game back in Krause and Reinsdorf's face about his pay scale. Him being old, what he felt like he was properly earned. So, it's one thing that, you know, you Jerry Krause decides to redo things, reassemble a championship team, put the right guys, whoever you got to trade for, or sign in free agency. Done, let's get it done. But then you would also see the tension that Lair laid on laid on to it. So we'll be talking about episodes seven and eight coming up this Sunday. Tune in to ESPN. It's on eight PM Central Standard Time. It's a two hour series, two episodes per night. And for any of those who are subscribed to ESPN Plus, you can also watch it on there too. So that's gonna do it for a wrap for this episode of The Last Dance. I want to say thank you once again, Reese, for joining here live. Uh, sorry for the issues that you're experiencing during the show. Always a pleasure talking to you on this. Always. Back in the studio. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try and get back there soon, man. And uh, if you guys ever want to follow us like on our shows, you can catch us on Saturdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We are on On Deck on ChicagolandSportsRadio.com. That's from 1 to 2 p.m. And then you can also check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Prodge Richie at ISCR3 with Nuttable. And then for all the latest on deck and Mastio podcast shows, you can also check us out on Mixcloud, Charles Prodge Richie, and on Anchor and Spotify, Crunch Time with Charles Prodge Richie. As we always leave you, don't be trolling, be rolling. We gone. Thank you, real. Thank you, Reese.